So Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 21. The title is Heed What You Hear. And really this whole section um, that Luke has put together, he's got, we have a couple of parables, we have a couple of uh, interactions with his family, an interaction with his family, and it's all to communicate this one thing, is how do the people of God listen to the Lord? It's important that we hear him and that we heed the things that he has to say. Um, one of the ways in which Jesus is going to seek to communicate uh, the importance of hearing and listening to him is through parables. Parables, um, we're going to talk about them, but th- this was a favorite way, not the only way, but it was a favorite way uh, that Jesus would try to communicate spiritual truth. It was meant to pique the interest. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I would ask you, as I've asked myself, as I've been studying and thinking about this passage, how am I listening to Jesus now? What is my attention span like with the Lord? Am I, am I as attentive to Him today as I was previously? Am I just as eager to hear the voice of the Lord speak to me and guide me and direct me as I have been at other times in my life? Or has there been something that has fallen off? So many voices out there. There's never been a time in history where you can have more input or more uh, voices coming into your life than at this point in time in human history. It is so important that we learn how to hear Jesus. Because if we don't lock in and zero in and tune in to his voice, it is certain that the other voices are going to drown him out and we're going to be just slowly deluded in our biblical understanding. And we'll, we'll see that this is something that Jesus made a point of. So let's begin reading there at verses 1 through 3. And, and we get an introduction uh, of just how women were active in ministering in uh, Jesus' earthly ministry. So what was the role of women in Jesus' ministry? No doubt Luke is trying to kind of stitch together this last encounter that happened with, uh, at Simon's house with This woman who came and wept at the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and then poured that costly perfume upon his feet. And, of course, this Pharisee was just blown away that he let a woman come and do that. And Jesus basically said, she loves me. How about you? I mean, look what she's done. You know why she loves me, Simon? Because she's forgiven. Which was, that was an ouch, because he's saying, you're not forgiven. Because if you were forgiven, you would be like this, and you did none of this. And so it was a a moment where uh, Jesus was able to come to the defense of a repentant woman that was there to worship him. So we come on into verse 1, and we continue to see the place of women um, in and around the ministry of Jesus. So we read at verse 1, now it came to pass afterward... That he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. So this is what they're going to hear. The glad tidings, right? And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided 
for him from their substance. So women were a part of that traveling team. Um, the, the disciples were going out, they were teaching, they were ministering. These ladies were making certain that when they came back, that things were able to just go on. They didn't have to take time um, from the ministry of the day. And they were providing for them. And they were experiencing Jesus. And they were carrying out an important task. We read here, uh, at the end of verse 3, they, pro- uh, they provided. Um, it's the word we get the word deacon from. And the word from their, and the idea of from their substance carries the idea that these were, some of these ladies, they had means. They had the resources to get this band of people uh, enough food to carry on ministry. And so they were grateful for the touch, for the healings that had come to their body, for the, for the healing of uh, the demons being cast out. And they were thankful. So they were giving. You know, and I don't think we should look at this as a, a second rate or some kind of inferior place because we can think back into the ministry of the kingdom of David and, and how those that stayed behind to protect the stuff got half of the reward of everything of those that went out to battle. Those that stayed behind so they could go out were rewarded equally. So in God's economy, this is no small deal. The view of women in Jesus' day was quite low. And I'm going to read you some quotes from some rabbis. I just want to make, you, make certain that you realize I didn't write this, okay? So if you want to get mad, you've got to get mad at some guy that's dead. But I think it's so helpful to get a sense of what the mindset was like so that you can see how different Jesus was. This is a different culture. This is a different day. And so often, it's very popular right now to kind of evaluate everything from 2,000 years ago through the lens of today and not understand what was going on in that culture and what was going on in that moment. So many of the things that we would look at and see what Jesus did and said and how he interacted with women can fly right over our heads because... Thanks to him and the word of God, it has so changed the way women are treated. So he properly treated these women. But here, here's a little taste okay, of, of, of some of the thoughts of the religious leaders and what they had to say about women. Here's one quote. It says, happy is he whose children are males and woe to him whose children are females. Woe? I mean, that's like, that's going deep right there to come out with a woe. But that, that gives you a sense of the attitude. Conversation should not be held with a woman, even though she be one's own, even though she be your wife. Don't have a conversation with her. Wow. May the words of the Torah be burned that they should not be handed over to women. Better to burn the Bible than give it to a lady. The man who teaches his daughter the Torah teaches her extravagance. Listen to this last one. This is so significant. The wife should neither bear witness, instruct children, nor pray at the table. She is not even bound to keep the whole Torah. She's so insignificant, it doesn't even matter if she obeys. 
clearly this is not, this is not from the Word of God, okay? This is not the, the teaching that you're going to find in the Bible. This, this is terrible. I mean, it's something that Jesus was dealing with. He dealt with it even as this woman came and anointed him, and he came to her defense. And we will see this happen again and again. But I want you just to think about Jesus. When Jesus had to go to Samaria, if you can recall that account, he went to talk to who? A woman of Samaria. Jesus didn't read this and he didn't believe it when they said you shouldn't even talk to one. He went out of his way to go talk to one woman up in Samaria and even at this, a Samaritan woman. When Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, Martha got upset, not for these reasons, but because she was doing all the kitchen work by herself. And she was frustrated and she came to Jesus and you can just see her hands on her hips talking to Jesus and looking at disgust with Mary and saying, tell her to get in the kitchen and help. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. Because what she's doing is the better thing, Martha. You worried and freaked out about so many things. But look at what she's doing. She's doing the better thing. So, oh, Jesus would go to Samaria to talk to a woman. Jesus would encourage a woman to sit at his feet that she might learn from him. We see these three that are traveling with Jesus. And I think one of the most significant pieces of it all is this. Who was the first to see the risen Lord and who was the first to preach the gospel? It was women. And if you read that, that one last quote, the wife should neither bear witness. They didn't, the testimony of a woman did not mean very much. And Jesus was like, all right, well, let's give it to the women then. Let's let them be the first ones to see. Let's let them be the first ones to tell the ones that are going to be the apostles that are going to go. And so... Again, I think if we don't understand the culture, if we don't understand the background, we read through the New Testament and we see these revolutionary things that he's doing. So this is why I wanted to take a little time to read that because as you go through the scriptures, if you just begin, whenever you see a woman pop up in the scriptures, I mean, take special note because Christianity and Jesus... Gave women a proper respect. Now listen, while women got their proper respect under the ministry of, of Jesus and began to gain that as the church grabbed hold of this understanding that we are equal, right? Neither male nor female, and that they should be treated uh, properly, things began to change. But I'll tell you what didn't change. The roles that God ordained for women to have did not change. The role that was given that a woman should follow the leadership of her husband has not changed. The, the role that um, a, a, a man should have as a leader inside the house of the Lord. He's a, a man is leader in his house. Certain men are called to be leaders in the house of the Lord. That has not changed. And so I think it's important why we make this distinction and understand that this is, uh, you know, this idea to beat a woman down was certainly not the way Jesus conducted himself at all. There were women around him as he ministered and they were being touched and they were being healed and they were being taught and they were being used and they were being sent and they were 
part of the gospel work. I really would hate the thought to be a part of a church where the women of the church were not allowed to use their spiritual gifts. I wouldn't want to go there. And I don't go there, so that's good. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be a place where you you would see a a woman stifled from her celebration and her worship and her desire to to serve and and to use the call of God upon her life. So I, I think these are some important distinctions for us to have. I just would say, and I don't know if I'm expressing it as well as I want to. I don't feel like I am. But you, you just have to understand is don't let people come back who've never read the Bible and understand nothing of the culture of that day and begin to talk about how Paul and Jesus were, were you know, male chauvinists. They're ignorant of, of what they of really the benefit that they have that has come directly through Jesus in Christianity. I'll give you one example. Go and be a woman in a culture where the gospel has not penetrated it. You don't want to be there. And and you can just see the difference. So understand that many are trying to read back in on many different points and look today and say, well, you see, this isn't right. And they, they fail to understand what was going on. So even this simple little reading that these women are around the Lord, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And that's why Luke took the time to actually call it out and speak about it. As we move on to verses 4 through 8, we come to one of the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables. It's the parable of the seed and the soil. Let's read these verses. not going to say a whole lot here because... He's going to give the interpretation to us in the coming verses. But verse 4 says, And when a great multitude had gathered, they had come to him from every city. He spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. So he's planting seed. That's what we mean by sowing. So a farmer went out to plant his seed, if that helps. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So they're going around preaching the glad tidings. And it's the, the mention of the glad tidings that kind of Luke is linking together and says, all right, well, let's talk about how you hear, what Jesus had to say about how we should hear the glad tidings. And so this is the theme that is going to come through as we work through. Jesus used parables. Turn with me um, back to Matthew chapter 13. I want, to, I want you to see a couple of verses here. In Matthew chapter 13. What was the purpose of why Jesus used parables? Two reasons. Two reasons why he used parables. Verse 13 says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So parables were used to blind, deafen, and harden. That's negative. Parables were used to blind, 
to deafen and to harden. Why in the world would Jesus want to adopt that as a tool? Doesn't he want people to come to believe? Yes, he does. But let's think about what's going on as Jesus ministers. They're sitting, do you remember a few, probably about a month and a half ago, we did a teaching and they're walking through the grain field on the Sabbath. Do you remember this? You remember what happens when the, uh, some of his disciples just run their hand up the stalk, grab some wheat, begin to eat it? Do you remember what happened? They jump out, the Pharisees jump out and say, aha, we've caught you. That's why. They were following Jesus and watching his every move. Remember the man with the withered hand? They, they, they knew there was a man that had the withered hand, and they sat and they watched to see what Jesus was going to do. They were waiting, waiting to catch him. Simon invites him to his house, but Simon's trying to catch him as well. He's trying to examine him. And so when we read about him thinking in his thoughts, he goes, well, if this man was a prophet, then he would know who this woman was, and he would never let this woman teach him. But in the Greek language, it's really strong what, it, what, it's, what it, the idea that's being communicated. And the idea is, if this man was a prophet and he's not, that's the idea that's communicated um, with a second-class conditional clause. It's like, he is not a prophet because look at this. And so he had already come to this conclusion, and he was just looking for something to hang his argument on. And so over and over again, as you watch Jesus having these arguments and these fights and being challenged by them, he got to the place where he's like, listen, you think I'm a lunatic? You think I'm demon-possessed? You think I'm a liar? You think I've been sent from Satan? I'm not going to just make it easy for you to come and make criticisms against me. So those who don't want to hear, you're not going to hear. Those that don't want to see, you're not going to see. Your hearts are going to become hardened because you're really not after truth. You're just after the opportunity to shut me down. You probably know somebody like that who takes that kind of posture towards Jesus. I mean, every time you talk, they're not listening to what you have to say about Jesus and your experience and your fullness and, and, and what's happening. They're looking for something to jump on and begin to tear apart. And that's what Jesus was doing. And so one of the reasons he used parables was for those that were sitting and waiting and looking for an opportunity to latch onto his words and say, aha, well, the parables, they were a little harder to track. And so if it wasn't obvious to them what they were saying, they couldn't immediately jump out and attack him. The second reason, move to the end of the same chapter of Matthew 13. Matthew 13, look at verse 35. Actually, let's read verse 34 and 35. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So, on the one hand, a parable negative was meant to, uh, uh, to blind, to deafen, and harden the heart of those that didn't want to hear. But here in verses 34 and 35, the parable is to reveal. And to those that wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, it made them sit up on the edge of the seat. They dug in deeper. And, and that's kind of, I mean, you, you are that disciple. You are that one. 
When you read the Word of God, you're like, I don't get it. You, you, you dig in deeper. You begin to talk to people. You begin to pray over it. You begin to really search because you want to know. And so the parables were meant to reveal things that had not been previously taught or communicated. So parables have this twofold approach to reveal, but also to hide. And it depends on the person's heart who's hearing it and what impact it's going to have upon them. To put it a different way, it depends on what Troy Warner's heart is like and whether or not it's going to have that impact to harden and deafen and blind or whether it's going to be something that reveals. And it is the same for each and every one of us. Yes, there is that initial response to the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. But it doesn't stop there because every day the Lord is speaking to us. How do we hear what he has to say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's read verses 9 and 10. It says, Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to, and he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Right? Just like that. Uh, we just read over in Matthew. But to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus teaches using these parables. A parable is a story from everyday life that conveys a central truth from heaven or a spiritual truth. Um, you don't want to go and press every aspect of a parable and try and make um, uh, meaning and significance upon every aspect. There is usually one central idea, and you may find a sub-idea that's contained in there as well, but there's one central idea. The central idea in this parable that we're going to read is, how are you hearing? Take heed to how you hear. Now the word parable, it's kind of a fun word. It's a Greek word, um, uh, parabole. And it's made up of two Greek words. Para, which means alongside, and bole, uh, or balo, which means to throw, to throw alongside. So a parable is throwing alongside a earthly experience, a spiritual truth. That's a parable. So they throw it alongside. And that's what we have here, an earthly illustration with a spiritual truth that's put beside it. Or maybe you could say it the other way, that you have a spiritual truth and an earthly idea is being thrown alongside it. That uh, for some that want to look to critique, they're not going to find what the ammo they want. And for those that are really wanting to know, they're going to understand. So look for a central truth. And don't press every single item of a parable into a meaning and to try and, and, and develop a deep theological truth. Discover the main point. That's really what you're after when you deal with parables. Structures of a parable, three items. It contains the occasion, the story, and the lesson. So what's the occasion? Well, Jesus is preaching the gospel and the Pharisees are continuing to come alongside him and question who he is. He's not a prophet. This is the occasion as we go through Luke. That's the occasion for it. That's, if you like it, that's the context. What's the context of the parable? What's going on? That's what you got to find first. Then you need to find the story. You look for that actual illustration. And in this case, you begin to look at the illustration 
of the farmer who goes out and plants seeds and it falls upon different types of soils and there's going to be a different response, a different harvest is going to come. But then you look for that last piece, you look for the lesson. So parables are made up of three aspects. There's an occasion, there's a story, and then there's the lesson. And so it's important that you understand the occasion to begin with. Because if you don't get the occasion or you don't get the context right, you might not land upon the truth that's trying to be communicated. So Jesus is giving instruction on the kingdom of God. And one aspect of the kingdom of God that is so important to the Lord is, how do people hear what I teach? How do people receive what I teach? Do they accept it? Do they recognize my lordship over their life? Jesus is aware of how Simon had been listening, and Jesus is aware of how we're listening. He pays attention. Jesus pays attention to how we hear. And let me just say this. So does every teacher. <laughs> All right, Every teacher who's teaching is paying attention to, if, they, if, if they're worth anything, they're paying attention, and they're like, am I getting through? Are people you know, connecting with this? And and, and Jesus is that kind of a teacher. When you woke up this morning and you opened your Bible, teacher Jesus was watching to see if you were listening and how you were receiving that. Not to judge you, not to condemn you, because he's an attentive instructor. And he's looking to see how I receive the word of the Lord, how you receive the word of the Lord. In his day, Simon and the rest... They had heard his teaching. They had seen his works. They had seen his miracles. There was even going to get to a point where they'll watch him raise somebody from the dead. And their best plan is to do what? Kill him again. I mean, that's a hard heart, don't you think? They, they, they realized they could not deny that he had been raised from the dead and that a notable miracle had been done. And rather than bowing and hearing what Jesus had to say, they were like, Let's just kill the guy again. If we kill him again, then they can't keep pointing to him that he's alive. That's a hard heart. And this is what was going on. So those who heard the parables only for the purpose of accusing Jesus were going to find no more opportunity, and that's why they became a favorite tool of his. Those that were searching, they were going to understand and they would know. As we consider how Jesus deals with those who reject his, his word, um, or how people receive his word, it should, it should stand as a warning and an encouragement to us at the same time, right? Because if you hear what Jesus has to say, you're going to be instructed in the way of life. You're going to be instructed in the way of the kingdom. You're not going to be left in the dark. You will have heavenly truths deposited into your heart and your mind. And that should warm your heart to think about meeting with Jesus that he wants you to hear. But it's a warning that we don't take for granted the word of God and begin to just treat this Bible that we have, this uh, record from, from heaven of what God thinks about almost every single subject you could ever imagine. And that we must be patient in waiting upon him and listening to him not wasting time and not rejecting him. You know, the Lord is very patient. 
But he does not have time for the proud. Actually, what the Bible says is he what? He resists the proud. And those that in their pride say, I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. I don't care what he has to say. Jesus resists that person. Jesus told us that, if that, that even if people rejected our own words, which were his, that we should just move on to the next town, right? Uh, in Matthew 10, 14, whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you, say de- uh, when you, depart, uh, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city because they didn't hear what you had to say, which was what I sent you to tell them. So there's, a, there's heavy consequences that serve as a strong warning to those that would not take heed. But again, the question that we all must ponder and think about is, what kind of listener am I? What, I mean, do I sit up straight? Do I, do, I, do I get my pen out? Do I get my paper out? Do I, am I ready for him to write upon my heart, Lord, speak to me? And it's this parable that talks about four different types of listeners. Look at verses 11 through 15 as we find the, uh, Jesus explaining this parable. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. All right? Don't have to go scratch your head on that, do you? Yeah, well, what's the seed? The seed is the word of God. That, don't go any further. Those by the wayside are the, are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. So who's the bird? The devil. And it comes and takes the word out of their hearts. That's the ground. Lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Verse 15. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Four times Jesus refers to each of these soils of how the person's heart heard it. It's all about hearing. That's what this parable is about. That is the central theme. So the first one is what? It's the hard heart. It's the hard heart that Jesus is talking about. This was a perfect description of who? The Pharisees. Of Simon. I mean, their heart was so hard that they couldn't... The men who knew the Word of God the best and were most familiar with the, the, you know, what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be couldn't see him because their hearts were so hard. And so Satan was snatching away the word the minute it was falling on their heart. And really, as you go through the parables, it seems like they had more, as a group of people, they had more opportunity and contact as a group than just about anybody else. They were constantly, they're constantly in the gospel stories. And yet they were, their hearts looked like a well-trodden path. Nothing could penetrate. Not even the word of God. And so Satan works hard to snatch away the truth of who Jesus is and his identity. 
And Satan has been doing this since the creation of man. In the garden, the serpent successfully lured Eve to sin against God by stealing the seed of warning that said, don't eat of this tree. And, and her heart had become hardened through, through his deception. So the thing is this. What, what, when's the last time the word of the Lord, you can look and say, man, it just penetrated my heart deeply. I mean, it just, it just worked into my heart. Because the danger is this, is that we just be, make coming to church and hearing a Bible study and reading our quiet times and reading our devotionals something that is such a routine that it doesn't even penetrate any longer. It doesn't even hit our heart. Well, we do it because we know we're supposed to do it. But it's like it hits it and it just bounces right off. That's scary. Are we fending off the bird? Are we fending off Satan? Knowing that he wants to rip off the word of God from our heart. There are certain things that you just have to do. And you've got to go figure out what they are. That you have to do to make certain that when you sit down with the Lord... That it's not ripped off. What do you have to do? I mean, I can tell you that, you know, I've got I've to pay attention to what's going on before I sit down to read. Because if I, if I get my mind going in a hundred different directions and it is all amped up, man, I'm going to have a difficult time switching gears and all of a sudden now reading the word and hearing what it has to say. I need to prepare my heart. And it's just, the, I think, the busyness of life can even make our hearts hard to what he has to say. But there are those that don't want to hear what the Lord has to say at all. They're just hard. They don't care. They mock. In verse 13, we're introduced to the shallow heart. And it's represented by the stony ground. And really, the next two hearts receive the Word of God. The first one doesn't receive it and never penetrates. But these next two, the Word of God actually gets in. But there's something that, that thwarts the fruitfulness and the productivity of the Word of God in that heart. It doesn't remain. Well, this one that we're talking about, the shallow heart, this is the one where something springs up quickly. But it's, there's no soil. There's no depth to it. This is, Jesus said, they receive it with joy, but there's no root. There's no establishing and, and so this is what probably, as you think about it, you know people whose hearts are hard when the gospel is presented. You know people that maybe they responded you know, with great excitement. But boy, as soon as storms and trials of life came out, it quickly scorched what was going on, and they stopped believing. They fell away. Temptation came, and they were unable to stand. Their faith was based more upon emotions than it was upon the truth of the Word of God. You know who a great contrast is? Is Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's, it's Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And they're warned that if they don't bow and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar had um, established, that they were going to be thrown into the fiery fur- furnace. And... <laughs> What they say is just amazing. They say, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. 
But if not, if we get thrown in there and we are consumed, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We know who we are. We are the followers of Yahweh, and we worship and we bow to him alone. So do your best, but it's not going to change who we are. It doesn't matter what trial. It doesn't matter what temptation you throw our way. We're not going to bow. We're not going to change who we are. We're not going to change our belief. We're not going along because we are true followers of Yahweh. And this is the way every true Christian is. Here's what we say so often when we think of tragedies that are going to come. And I want to ask you to never do this again. I want you to do this a different way. You think of some bad news coming into your life. And we'll say things like this. Oh, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. Um, you know, somebody moved away. And they went to be a missionary. And they left family. Oh, I, I couldn't do that. I could never do that. Or a sickness comes in. Or a death comes in. Oh, I couldn't handle that. I could never go through that. Why? <laughs> Why couldn't you go through that? You don't think that God is going to show up in your life and give you a power and a grace to go through that circumstance that you need? We measure you know, ourselves in a terrible trial in our, our, you know, the green pasture. You don't need terrible trial faith and grace and power in the green pasture. Do you see what I'm saying? In that moment, it's easy. You see the hand of the Lord. It's easy to walk with Him in that moment. But I am confident of this very thing, that to the humble, He gives more what? Grace. So don't ever say, and if I went through that, I just don't think I could do it. What you say from now on is what every believer should say is, that is really hard, and I know that apart from the grace of God showing up, and it will show up, there's no way I could endure that. But I know because of the grace of God, He's going to use this for His glory. And that's what we have to say. You know, sometimes when we say that to, one, to people who are going through that, do you know, what a, you know what a punch in the gut that is? I can never go through that. You're like, well, why am I going through it? You know, I, you know, I can never leave my family. I love my family. Well, I love my family too. <laughs> but I want to be a missionary. And we say these things that just are like, they're deflating to people that are in those circumstances. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not have shallow hearts. The roots were deep. And I hope your roots are deep in Jesus. And there's no better way to do that than to sit at his feet and to hear him teach you and instruct you. As a matter of fact, trials and difficulties are not an indication that we're out of place with the Lord, they actually are an indication that we are experiencing exactly what Scripture said we ex would experience. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. I'm not going to read the whole passage there, but you can look it up on your own. But just the first verse or two says, Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which has come to try you as, some, as though some strange thing has happened to you. If you find yourself in the storm and in temptation and the sun is beating down upon you, don't look up and say, why is this happening to me? Look up and say, thank you for letting me know that this would happen to me. The Lord has told us ahead of time that we would have trials and that we would have difficulties. 
And so don't get all into your feelings and your emotions. Get into your faith and trust the Lord to see you through. You're only experiencing what Jesus said would be experienced. And Peter said, don't think it's strange. That is so some strange thing has happened to you. No, this is, this is what happens. Difficulty and hardship takes place. So you have the hard heart. Good example, you know, the religious leaders. You have the shallow heart. Somebody who had an experience with the Lord and, wow, that was a great teaching. That really moved me and that was a great miracle service. That really moved me. But, boy, they cannot go through a trial. They turn and they walk away and they are done with Jesus. In verse 14, we read about the crowded heart. And it is represented by the thorny ground. The soil and the heart, once again, initially is receptive to the seed or the word of God, but it does not remain. The heart is crowded and choked out by riches and cares and pleasures for other things. And so the thorns are the cares of this world. It's the riches that Jesus is referring to here in this passage. And so we got to be careful. We have to really make certain that we are paying attention to where the seed is growing in my life. You know, you can be having your quiet time, but if you have your, your life is dominated, your thought processes, everything you're about is dominated about the cares of this life and riches and living for pleasure, be careful. That's not a, that's not a great place for faith to grow and for what God has spoken to you to come to fruition. So you got to do weeding. We have to be constantly looking at our life and saying, I don't need that, and I don't need that, and I don't need that. Why? Because I want what's been planted in my heart, I want a hundredfold to the glory of God. And so we remove those things out so we are, that faith does not get choked out. And I think this is such a, an apt description of the church in America. Because we have so much available to us, don't we? We have so much of, of the things that Jesus says that would choke out that seed. We have the riches and we have the pleasures of life. We have the cares. So, many, so much stuff brings so, you know, the more stuff you have, the more things you have to care about. And so be careful, be mindful. This is what's so interesting about, you know, this theology that goes through the church that is encouraging everybody to get rich. Uh, are you sure you can handle it? Because this is, this is one of the points. I'm not saying that rich is wrong. If somebody is rich, it says these are given by the Lord for, their, for enjoyment. Enjoy them. So I'm not taking a shot at those who are of faith and are wealthy, but when we set out to make wealth our goal and our aim, you, you really need to pause and think that through because there's a lot of competing factors. And so, I mean, I think about this. It's like, well, you know, if I had to have make a choice between being poor and full of faith or rich and choked out, give me poverty. If i got to have poverty so my faith grows, then give me poverty. Because I would rather have that than to have riches and see my faith die. 
So Jesus is touching on some issues that are, are so important for us to pay attention to. What is it that you are passionate about? Where does your mind go? What competes for the growth of your faith? The word of the Lord in your life. Uh, let me just be, I'll give you just a, a real practical teaching. If you come and you have your quiet time, give yourself some time to let that seed lodge in your heart. Don't get up and run out and just jump out in the middle of a lot of things. Now, sometimes that's just the way schedule goes, and I get that. You're going to go and you're going to you know, sit at church and you're going to hear the word of the Lord, but then immediately you get off into things that begin to choke it out. Pay attention to what's happening there in your heart. The last heart, verse 15, it's the open heart. It's a heart that's represented by the good ground. And this heart receives the word and it bears fruit and it remains. And it's going to, that person's going to be fruitful. What a contrast this person who hears the glad tidings of the kingdom and receives it and welcomes it to the person that's talked about in 2 Timothy 4.3 where it says they put up having itching ears, they find teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Let me ask you, who is Jesus in your life? Is he one that can come and just speak and whatever he says, it's the end of the story. I don't need to hear anything else. I don't need to ponder another way. This is the word of the Lord. I'm finished. Or are you one that said, well, you know, I mean, that's good. That's good. But I just wonder, what are some other ideas that are out there? And what you're doing is you're looking to find somebody to say something to you that will justify what, how you're wanting to live or how you're wanting to think or not wanting to walk down the path and obey the Lord. And so having itching ears, you heap up for yourself those that will tell you what you want to hear. It's like the prophet. So let's call upon uh, the king who was, when said, let's call upon the prophet. He said, I don't want to hear that guy. He always says stuff I don't like to hear. <laughs> okay. You mean the truth? You don't like to hear the truth. And this is why it's so important that we take heed. Because as I said in the beginning, we, there's never been a time in the history of the world where there is access to more voices and more philosophies and more isms and more competing ideas. You can find somebody to tell you what you want in a matter of 30 seconds. And you can go and watch their read their webpage, you can watch their video, you can watch them begin to pick and tear apart the Word of God, and they find some nuance and some way to kind of slide in their idea, and in the process they've undermined the Word of God. And there are so many that are just being sucked out to sea with that stuff. And we must guard our own hearts. We need to take heed how we hear in verses 16 through 18, we'll be much quicker here with this parable. But it says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it, with a covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. And here's the point again, verse 18. Therefore, take heed how you what? 
how you hear. We're still talking about what you do with the glad tidings of the kingdom. But this time, the idea is, does what I, what I receive and the glad tidings I receive, does it become light for everybody else? Or do I hide what I have heard? For whoever has, and listen to this, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. That's a warning. That the light that you have, if you are not diligent with it, it can begin to just dissipate and dim in your life. Like, well, I don't know about that. Okay, think about somebody who used to be just charging with Jesus. And man, it was about the word. And it was about being at church. And it was about worship. And it was about serving them. And now they are so far from the Lord. And when you talk to them, where's the word of God in their life? And the very things that they once seemed to know so well, they now are hidden from them. And they can't even get their hands upon it anymore. It's like, wait a minute. We used to talk about these things. You used to teach me about these things. And now you're here? Because they did not take heed to how they were hearing. We wrap it up there in verses 19 through 21. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now they didn't think much of Jesus the Messiah, right? They thought he was crazy. Verse 21, But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. What's the point? I'm preaching a message about hearing. And I'm not going to be distracted right now. You want to know who it is that's close to me? The people that hear what I have to say. Those are the people. And so, are we close to Jesus? Well, do we hear and do we obey? That's how you determine that. So important. James chapter 1, James chapter 2 talks so much about how we hear. Um, James chapter 1, verses 21 through uh, 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Hear it. Receive it. Let it get into your heart. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing himself excuse me, observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So this is the truth, that we need to hear, but we need to take heed to what we've heard. You can look up James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20 on your own. But listening is such an important truth given throughout Scripture. Uh, Old Testament talks about it, New Testament talks about it. You're a believer. You're here on Wednesday night, bad weather, to hear the word of the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. But just because the word of God is hitting your heart doesn't mean your heart's right. You got to take heed. You've got, to, you've got to come. And, and I'm just, I feel so stirred in this passage. It's like, I, 
Jesus is speaking when we open his word. Jesus is speaking when I began to meditate upon him and pray upon his word. His spirit is speaking to my heart. When we come together to hear a Bible study, you're not coming to hear me, I hope. You're coming to hear what the word of the Lord has to say. And that should cause us to come to hear and to be to soak up every ounce of truth and let it get into our life, but immediately say, now how am I going to do it? And so as you go, how are you going to listen? How am I going to listen when I walk out the door? How am I going to listen tomorrow morning when I have the opportunity and you have the opportunity to meet with Jesus? How do we receive the word of God? Be careful how you hear. And if you have an ear to hear, then hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you and to your family and to your friends. So get out of the habit of mindlessly going through the quiet time, of mindlessly going through your preparation to teach the Word of the Lord to the kids, mindlessly going through the process of coming and sitting down in church and getting up and walking out. No, just you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's teaching you. He's instructing you from his word. Soak it up. Receive it. And we need to ask ourselves, are we shining forth that which we have heard from him? Are we trying to put it under you know, a, a, a veil that doesn't let the light of the glad tidings of the gospel to shine forth? He wants it to shine forth from your life. He wants what you've received to reflect out to everybody else that they might see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth that instructs us and it teaches us. And Lord, we just stand back and we are, we are thankful that we have your word. We are blown away, Lord, that you would want to teach us how to walk, how to forgive. And I pray you would just speak to our hearts.